Welcome to the stream tonight, everyone. I am joined with by John, LT, and Ryan, and tonight we are going to be walking through some scriptures. We're going to be giving some of our perspectives as we talk through some of the events that have transpired over this past week. Uh, for many of you, you probably already know if you've been paying attention to the news or anything about some of what is going on in the Middle East in Gaza, in Israel, and in the West Bank, and all of that. Tonight, we're going to be giving some thoughts to that. But before we get started, and before we even get into intros and hangouts and talking, I want to start us with some scripture this evening, because I think that as we come to God's Word, it's going to give us a good direction where the rest of the conversation will go. So I'm going to read this passage. We're going to have a little conversation about it. I think it'll be pretty clear and evident uh, why we're going to be reading this. And I just got to get it to the right. There we go. Here it is. This is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. You guys can follow along or read on the screen. It says this, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, for it is written vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Then the second scripture I want to read is from Proverbs and we'll have a conversation about these two. It says this Proverbs 16 or 6, 16 to 17. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. So as we enter into our conversation tonight, uh, what does what comes to mind when we read that passage of scripture, even as you hear that now, what might be is the Holy Spirit working on in your heart to bring to the surface as we enter into this conversation this evening? I would say uh, this is just um, to be the first one to speak. Um, it's a reflection of the the heart position that a Christian is supposed to take in these in these uh, obvious atrocities that are going on, and it, it shows a difference in worldviews. Uh, there's no eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. You know, uh, vengeance is the Lord's. And uh, if we go on to you know Romans 13 and, and in, in where Paul's talking about submitting to, to government and, uh, you know, the government is put there by God to, you know, essentially be the arm of the Lord and to, to bring justice 
on evildoers. You know, I, I see so many Christians posting and it, it, it's, you have a right to be outraged at, at, at the evil that you see. It's, it's a righteous anger to be angry at, you know, I'm not even going to go into details at this point, mm -hmm. but, you know, as you were reading that scripture, I'm just listening to it and, and, and being grateful of the for the instruction that we have and and how we are supposed to respond to these things because my flesh wants to respond otherwise uh and and that's why it's so important to to go back to the book and to seek instruction uh from god and not our flesh so that those are my thoughts uh when you were when you were reading it yeah, I was going to say basically the same thing. It's so counter to my sin nature, you know, when it when it talks about overcoming evil with good, because my sin nature so desires when evil is done to me, it, it so desires to do evil right back to whoever did the evil to me or whatever's going on. It's, it's always to, you know, do the same thing back to that person. When somebody cuts me off, I want to cut them back off. You know, it's like... It's so ingrained in my sin nature, I think, that, uh, you know, to do this, it, it really takes truly uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit. There should always be a level of solemnity, like um, like a solemnness. A, there should be a level of wisdom and patience before speaking in these sort of matters. Um, cause also another proverb that came to my mind, um, was the idea that, you know, um, a fool who remains silent is deemed wise. Um, and the idea of it's better to say nothing or to be slow and to think about what you're going to say and be, make sure your words are charitable and make sure your words actually have meaning, um, that is favorable and good and honoring to the Lord before you start speaking on matters that are very weighty and touchy, um, especially when at the current moment they are heated topics that people want to have direct black and white answers. They want to have direct and black and white actions, whether that be let's go and take it to them. And slowly you start to realize that your spirit goes from being one of justice to vengeance. Mm -hmm. Your spirit slowly goes from one of being, I want what's best for, I want, you start going away from I want peace to I want I want death, I want blood. Um, and so I want I think it's very important when we read these scriptures that we just read here to notice that um, notice the call of us as believers about not trying to take vengeance into our own hands um, later in Romans 13 about submitting to the authorities, um, the idea of constantly as Christians we take upon ourselves, the humility to follow the example of Christ and pick up our cross um, and show compassion um, to the furthest extent um, and being careful in all the things we say. Um, so I think it should be with a solemn and humble spirit that we approach topics like this. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's all. I think those are good, Ryan. I, I tend to really react similarly the way you did that usually this is just so contrary to my initial feelings and i think that we should at least acknowledge that i think it this is a challenge to not go 
with our base instinct feeling and to be measured by the word of God and, and make the word of God our measuring stick by which we operate. And so our conversation this evening will be hopefully in that light, in that understanding that our desire uh, is to not be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good, that our desire is to pray for those uh, who are uh, being persecuted and who are doing the persecuting. I think that there's a few things that every Christian can do, no matter where and what we talk about the rest of the evening. I think there's a few things that everyone who's listening can do. And the first of that is you can all be praying and we can all be in prayer. And I think that must be said and must be stated as something that is a tangible thing that we can be actively doing and not saying that that's the only thing, but that definitely is something. We can also be showing people who Christ is by the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we respond, the way that we engage people on social media and in conversation. Um, it talked even here in Romans 12 about mourning with those who mourn, weeping with those who weep. I think there's a time for that and we we should be doing that as well. That's what Christ did. He took time to weep with those who weeped and mourn with those who mourn. And so do we. And, and that shouldn't be colored by the national boundaries that might end up making a lot of this conversation feel black and white to some when I think it's not nearly as black and white when we talk about the image of God and people. And I think as well, all Christians, we can be proclaiming that there is hope, that there is hope in Christ and there's hope found in Christ alone. And ultimately, that's where our prayer is directed. So as we begin tonight and, and talk through some of our uh, thoughts, concerns, ideas regarding the situation in Israel, between Israel and Palestine and Hamas and all of those things, um, we wanted to at least start on that foot that this is our desire and our hope. So let, let's hop over. Unless anyone has anything else to add. No. Okay. Where where do we want to start tonight with what we have? I know you so, had some stuff pulled out, John. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times when things like this happened, emotion, not a lot of times, every single time something like this happens, emotions flare, logic disappears, and we're, we're out for blood on Twitter, you know, and it, it's, it's important for us to to separate agendas and individuals right uh mm. to separate um you know to separate hamas from your regular everyday palestinian who is just trying to go to work right separating support for people who believe that palestine should just uh you know have full control over the land and i'm not going to get into the politics of that because uh, it is, it runs so deep. But people who want that, we have to separate those people from those who are condoning what Hamas has done and condoning the slaughter. And this is what I've noticed in in uh, my conversation and you know friends' conversations with people who are seemingly supporting what's going on uh, with. Hamas uh, basically just committing war crimes in their mind their allegiance to their people is so tight that they bring themselves to these well that's what you get conclusions mm -hmm. and 
we have to understand that not all Palestinians think like that. But we also have to understand that in this in this group, especially, you know, we've seen pro uh, not protests. We've seen celebrations through the streets of uh, the United States, London, Australia. Right. Whenever there's a small group of people together who all share a similar ethnic background in uh, a country that doesn't share that similar background, those people tend to closely get get knit closely together right? Mm -hmm. And they have each other's back and they look out for each other. So what happens is there are people in those groups who are agreeing with what Hamas is doing. And then you have individuals in those groups who aren't in a position to, a voice, to, to voice their opposition. Because you have to think about the mindset of the people who are cool with these atrocities and, and think about if you are if this is the only community that you essentially have where you live, it's going to be difficult for you to speak out against that. It's almost cult-like in a way. And I'm not saying that ethnic groups are cults. I'm saying an ideology can be a cult. And I'm, not, I, I'm we're going to dig into some uh, um, of that ideology. But I think the issue comes from um, picking sides is, is one of the things. It's like, uh, you're pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestine, and I just think that that's a that's a poor position to take in um, in such a complex narrative. And I'm not saying that you can't look at this stuff and 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 pick a side and saying like, "Hey, Israel has a right to defend themselves," and then also say, "Hey, yeah, the way that they've treated the Palestinian people." isn't the best. You know, you can look at these things and you can even be somebody who is pro-Palestine and pro-Palestinian freedom. You can, you can look at that and you could still condemn these atrocities that are, that are going on. And I think that one of the issues is that they're having a, they're having a difficult time um, voicing that because now you'll be viewed as against your country. And this is the position that that people are in. So us approaching this conversation, we need to make sure that we never paint with a broad brush in the conversation when we're speaking about uh, issues that have happened on both sides. And then we also have to understand our position as Christians in which uh, there is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free, male nor female, we are all one in Christ Jesus. And we have to really, our heart for this situation should be that these people come to Christ. I, I personally feel that it's the only solution is, is people coming to Christ. But with all that being said, um, we have, you know, when, when you see Islamic extremists, they, you see patterns in how they approach warfare, right? And you see this patterns with how they treat uh, women. You know, they they sexually assault women. Uh, th that's the nicest way I can put it. Multiple men with one woman. We've uh, we've seen the videos of women being paraded around um, in the uh, in the streets. And and if you look at this one woman, her in her sweatpants, her her bottom side is all bloody and 
we can we can make the assumption of of what happened to her so that's one thing that happens that we see and then another thing that has always made worldwide news is beheadings and people sometimes think that this is what all muslims believe this is how all muslims think and and that's just not the case and and that's why i want to dig into a little bit of why it is you see these patterns and look this is not i'm not a muslim apologist this is i'm a i'm a like we have to look at people as people okay and we have to understand where they're coming from and not paint people with a broad brush all right and and look at their ideologies and not people and then also you have to remember that there's a lot of in the same way that there's a lot of cultural christians and cultural catholics there are cultural muslims as well who are who are muslim by you know just being born into it and they don't even know that some of this stuff is uh is in the quran and it's is uh in the hadith so anyway if you could pull that um pull some of that up does any anyone have anything to say before we, we move? i was going to say i was just going to um hop on what you were saying there about um not painting with a broad brush and stuff because when the, the the danger of doing that is what you see in already in europe and stuff where some jewish um communities have been attacked um and targeted some muslim communities have been attacked and targeted and you start seeing um violence against these religious groups across different countries because of what's happening in these areas and they start blaming each religious or ethnic group um because of these broad sweeping statements about, well, you know, every Muslim supports Hamas or every Jew is, uh, hates Palestinians or whatever. And you start creating these broad strokes that aren't true. I mean, if anyone would come out and say all Christians, um, believe in, I don't know, some sort of theological position, uh, that wouldn't be true because a lot of Christians disagree on theology. Um, so it's one of those things where when we talk about these other religions, uh, it's it's easy for us to try to broad brush and paint with wide strokes, but if we would want to ex if we would want to expect the same level of respect from other religions and people when they talk about Christianity to be nuanced and to be careful with their words and how they describe things, we ought to be nuanced and careful with how we describe other religions and their people who follow them. Right. Mm. Yeah, I think a, it's sort of just. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to quickly add that I think it's also just sort of the the lazy way to think through things um, by just, you know, putting in the cheat code in your mind and skipping directly to the end and making up your mind about a specific group of people and just saying, oh, they're all like this or they're all like that. When I feel like people really know that the truth is that each person has nuances and differences and you're sort of just being lazy about your, your thought life by just doing those broad brushstrokes. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So. Oh, so, sorry for those of you that are listening on uh, Spotify. <laughs> I was going to say, was like all the audio only listeners are going to be like this awkward <laughs> yeah, the, silence. Like, oh, what, what happened? What happened? <laughs> my bad. My bad. That's my fault. I'm taking full blame for it. You're allowed to. <laughs> all right. So this is uh, uh, one of the Hadiths. For those of you who don't know what the Hadiths are, these are a collection of things believed to be said and taught by uh, Muhammad, the um, the Islamic prophet Muhammad. Uh, so this is not the Quran, right? A lot of times people get these things confused. They think the Hadiths are the Quran or that, you know, you, you come across 
something like this and say, oh, that's in the Quran. That, that's why they do that. No, we have to understand. And then as, uh, as LT is, was saying, yeah. I was going to say the Hadith are basically the second most important books to Muslims. The Hadith is, uh, are the sayings of the Prophet Muhammad, supposedly, um, that help give them an understanding of how Muhammad lived his life and based on hadith they try to follow the things he taught in them so because the theory goes that if muhammad was like the perfect prophet the perfect muslim um if you would follow the hadith and everything he teaches and you follow the ways of muhammad um that would be your best bet on following the quran most effectively that's right. sort of the line of reasoning that would come from that um so that's why the hadith are important to them although they would say that the quran is the most important because it's the actual words of god in their eyes Right. And in thanks for watching this episode of the I hit the wrong button. <laughs> oh man. All right guys, that's it. We're done. We're done. We're done. Good good live stream. Like oh, drop moment. <laughs> so, in the hadith you you'll you'll see what we're going to go through right now. Sometimes it's a lot of like question and answer. So, uh say, "Oh, we should ask the prophet. Uh, we should ask Allah's messenger." All right? So, um this hadith that we're going to read can you just scroll and down also, so i could see I was yeah, say also one more thing um is that there's multiple hadiths um yes i don't know if you're about to mention that or not but there are multiple hadiths so the one we'll be reading from is the sahih bakari is considered a trustworthy hadith by most muslims uh right. there are some hadith that you can see that people will quote uh that are not considered trustworthy by all muslims but the sahih bakari is considered by sunni and shia as trustworthy for the most part right um, so this is Sahih Bakari 559-459, right? So this is just a, a conversation, and we're just going to focus on this last part. Um, so if you could scroll up just a little, I can't see. We'll read the whole thing just so you could get. Uh, so Abu said, we went out with Allah's apostle for the Gaswa. I'm going to mess all this stuff up. Just so just, you know, Arabic's my like fifth language. Um, <laughs> Banu al-Mustalikh, and we received captives from among the Arab captives, and we desired women, and celibacy became hard on us, and we loved to do, so this uh, coitus interpretus is the removal, uh, I'm just going to put it in New York terms, this is when you pull out, all right, like yeah. that's, that's what it is, it's uh, when you remove your thing from intercourse so that way in the, order to the person doesn't get pregnancy. yes yeah. in in order to prevent pregnancy so uh we love to do that so when we intended to do that uh we said how can we do this before asking allah's apostle who is present among us we asked him about it and he said it is better for you not to do so meaning it is better for you not to pull out uh for if any soul till the day of resurrection is predestined to exist, it will exist. Meaning just do your business because if Allah wills it, the baby will, will, will be born anyway, whether you, whether you pull out or whether you um, fully commence this uh, for, for lack of, I don't know how to like word this in a way that isn't like YouTube, ding, 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 ding. But um so this is this right here is one of the reasons why m 
Islamic terrorists believe they can have, uh, they can grape women who are essentially, you know, captives of war. They're the spoils of war. They're the booty of mm -hmm. war. Um, so this is why they can not only do it, but everybody can have a turn on on this person. So this, they take this hadith and ones that are similar to this, and they build this whole into. They validate these war crimes through that. Now you got to understand. This is not the position of the majority of, of Muslims. These are Islamic extremists, extremists who look at that and they're like, yes, awesome. Now I can participate in this with a clear conscience. It's halal in order for me to do this, right? So this, this can give some perspective of to, as to why you see this uh, similarity in, in many of these extremist groups in their tactics of, of when they attack people. Any any mm -hmm. comments on that, guys? Yeah, I was gonna, I mean, I'm not an expert uh, even a little bit on the Muslim community. I think LT, you, you've spent a lot of time uh, in this world. What percentage would you say, if you had to take a rough guess, what percentage of Muslim folks do believe that this is um, an excuse to grape women. Um, the only Muslims I have interacted with besides one are all from the West. Um, Western Muslims tend to be less conservative than Eastern Muslims in other countries. Um, but I do know of a Muslim. I, did ha I have had discussions and, ta and talked with a Muslim from Egypt as well. Um, but most Muslims, uh, all the ones I know of and have talked to, would not support taking advantage of women as spoils of war, uh, to put it simply. Um, they would not. Now, I will admit that I never had, with, a Muslim, with another Muslim, I never had an in-depth discussion about these passages to figure out how they um, interpret them. I've heard and I've studied some things online and stuff, but... Um, I haven't had an in-person discussion with anyone about these passages to really understand what do they mean? What do they actually believe they're meaning and saying? Um, by what I understand, a lot of times they'll do, uh, one thing they'll do is they will look at other Hadith and other Quranic passages that basically say, don't do these things. And then they will use that as context for the situation to create create a new sort of context for for the passage i'm not saying it's strong um a strong defense of the passage i'm not that's not my point but that's something they will do they'll try to pull from other quranic verses and passages that talk about peace and mercy to try to bring new context to this hadith that sounds a lot more bloody violent and grotesque um and no, or or there's another one there's another option sometimes they will Consider the, they will consider the hadith not reliable. Like they will consider that specific one unreliable because it does not align with the Quran's teaching. So that is also an option they will sometimes take. Yeah, and you, you answer my question. That's what I was going to ask. If they're going to the Quran and then coming back to the hadith, would they then uh, have the mm -hmm. 
hadith be undermined or at the least the Quran will always history. trump a hadith the Quran yeah. will always trump the hadith if it seems like it does it isn't compatible yeah yeah well and, and with everything you said again we, we started we started what we talked about tonight in Romans 12 but I think it is also important for us to to condemn in the strongest terms violence and all of these atrocities that we see and, and I think that that is where it gets more difficult and has to be more nuanced when people ask the question, well, are you pro-Israel or pro-Palestine? And I think that's what we're seeing a lot of in the media and in social media is being forced to take a position. And it's those black and white categories that I think don't do us very good when talking about these things that are much more uh, messy and and not as clear cut it's like saying are you pro-christian or pro-islam uh and if you're not a christian or or muslim it's like well i might like some christians and might like some muslims how, how do i make that conversation to fit fit everything uh any other any other thoughts here before we hop to the the next passage i think well the only other thought i would say i have is there is when it comes to religion there are interpretations um, and you can, you can strongly disagree with someone's interpretation. So like um, I strongly disagree with a lot of Muslims interpretations. I think some of these passages that are more violent and stuff are hard to justify. I, I think they are um, even though I know many, my Muslim friends will try to find ways to make them not sound the way they sound. Um, but I might not agree with their interpretation um, on how they're interpreting that passage. And I might um, find it not the most most strong argument. Um, but that does not then mean that, uh, that is to say that then those Muslims do genuinely believe that they are a religion of peace. Even if you think, even if how they got there, you don't think it's logically consistent. At the end of the day, that's what their position is. And that's how they're going to try to live. Um so again, going back to the fact of every individual is different. Just because someone calls himself a Muslim or a Jew or a Christian or whatever doesn't always mean your first impression might not be exactly what they are. Mm. Uh, we've got a good question here that I think fits in with what we're talking about before we hop to the next thing. It's coming from Mary. It says, I, I wondered why the 9-11 hijackers were said to visit prostitutes before their deed. Could this be why they thought it was okay? That that specific quote from the Hadith. Uh, based on what we've read, I don't know that this Hadith would apply there. I don't know if there's something else that that would connect to that. But any any thoughts? Yeah, I would have to, to that. I would have to research that one. But I, just on face value, I would say that that was a uh, a last hurrah. Yeah. You know, know knowing yeah. knowing what you're gonna go do. For, yeah, I mean, yeah, for the most part, through Quran and um, Hadith literature, it doesn't support um, a lot of that sort of behavior. For the most part, again, you can find certain passages and then you can try to interpret them how you will, but for the most part, you won't see it supporting that type of behavior. Although there have been customs throughout Islamic history, um, such as things like 
wife trading in a sense where they would divorce their a wife they would then someone else would marry that wife because they wanted to be with them and then they would do their thing and then they would divorce them and then the other person would get married to them again so like there yeah. was th- like that was a thing that would happen within islamic culture but doesn't necessarily mean that they were using some sort of strong hadith or um islamic literature to support it either but it was something in their customs that did happen in certain certain time periods now, second question yeah. here, because, oh, no, go ahead, Ryan. Did you have something to add there? Yeah, just uh, just uh, looking at it at face value logically here, I think a, a, a prostitute is somebody that you pay um, for the act while that Hadith was talking about taking it as a spoil of war and not really uh, offering anything to the victim. And so I think that uh, if it was, if that specific one was used, I think that it was used out of context, which is totally possible. I mean, people do that in every religion. Yeah, the, the only connection I could have seen would have been uh, later on in, in some of the other hadiths where it talked about like possession. So mm-hmm. would would the purchasing there be a possessive action? Mm. But again, it, it also depends on the culture's perception on marriage. So, like, so for instance, there's a lot of cultures that would conquer nations and then they would basically assume the women as their wives. Uh, again, you can talk about the morality of that, and I think it's not good morality. But that is a lot of cultures, especially back in Muhammad's time, that's how they would operate, where you would conquer a nation, and then basically those women would end up becoming your wives. Hmm. Uh, so again, that's another big part of it. Not saying it's right. I'm just saying that was another thing and back in those times that was common. Now I've got I another am... question. Question here. Hold on I'm one sorry, second. I... Yeah, it's okay. all good. Because um, <laughs> this question was asked a while ago, and I was trying to find a good way to put it in. I think here's a good spot because um, it gives us a breather to maybe have this conversation, and then we'll get into some of the other things. But what perspective can can we give to share to help those around who see God to see God during these? times meaning we look around and we see all this devastation we see this evil this violence and how can we uh recognize uh, a good and loving god in the midst of what's happening i i would say that um if we just i think this is where we need god the most because justice is required for for any of any atrocity like this justice is required and if there is no god some of these people will never be brought to justice for their whole entire life they they'll get away with this forever uh, i i saw a video of um, the leaders of hamas in qatar praising allah for everything that that one happened that that went on all the atrocities that, that happened. They're praising Allah for it, for the um, the graping of these women and the murder of these children and kidnapping of them. Like they're, they're praising Allah for it. So I highly doubt that these leaders in their business suits living in Qatar are ever going to see the hand of justice. I just, I just highly doubt it. So if, somebody is not going to get justice in this life 
I think the only logical conclusion can be that there has to be a God that is going to bring justice in the next. Like there has to be. And where do we find love? Yeah, is he a loving God? Yes, but we have to we have to really get this gushy American seeker sensitive church God out of our minds. Can he be like that? Is that in his nature to love us closely and cherish us and and yes, but also he is a protective father. And I'm not a father yet. Uh, give me a few more months and it and it'll happen, but you know, Ryan and Jeremy, I know that there's no extent you would not go to to protect your children. And we just have to believe when looking at this stuff, like, man, there, God, you got to be out there. You got to be out there. there. There has to be a resolution to all of this. And in this life, the only resolution is Christ. And in the next life, the only justice will be at the hand of Christ as well. So I mean, piggybacking off that, I have to think about the psalm. Uh, I can't remember which one it is, where it talks about how the wicked prosper and how the wicked are basically fat on their 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 food and stuff, and um, how it almost caused you know David and or the 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 psalmist to stumble and to all that. But then he but then he goes to the temple, and then he. He, he goes to the temple, he observes the scriptures, he and joins in the worship at the temple of God. Um, and he said, and he, and he realizes, and he realizes their end, and he sees their end is the wrath of God, the justice of God. He sees that their end is coming uh, because of him going to the temple and looking towards God. Um, it's, it's one of those things where we can... It, this is not the problem of evil is often in a more it's, it's a very emotional problem as not as much the logical it, we make a mistake often trying to go down the logical route um but rather in these times it's i just wanted to be like it's it's okay to have these struggles to feel like you're feel like why are evil people prospering why is evil seeming to flourish why are the bad guys getting away with it again um, it's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to get frustrated. Um, and as believers, what do we do? We go to the temple of God and we, we, we raise our cares to him. We, we, we cry out to him. I mean, lamentations, Psalms, Job, all of these, we see, we see this happening again and again. Suffering is awful. It sucks. And God understands that. And that, so we go to him and we cry out to him and we say, this is awful. Can you bring justice? Can you bring it today? Um, and as we see in Revelation, God's like, I am going to bring justice. He, I remember that the one passage in, in Revelation where he's talking to, I think it's the saints where they're like, are you going to make vengeance for our blood or whatever? And he's like, wait a little bit longer. And they're comforted a little bit longer until the day of justice. Um, again, it's bringing our cares and our pains to God and laying them down to him and giving him our questions continually. Yeah. Yeah, from personal experience, um, I, I've gone through plenty of really difficult times in my life. And the, the darkness of those bad times has caused myself and my wife to really value the 
brightness of the good times. And I think the same is true in this world that the, the darkness and the sin that is dominating this world causes us to see just how good God is and how much hope we should have in God. It's the same thing as if you had a, if you had the, the flashlight on your phone on in the middle of the day with all the lights on in your house, you know, it, the light exists, but you can't see it quite as clearly as if it was the middle of the night, all the lights are off, you got the flashlight on, that thing is the brightest thing in the world. Um, and so I think that it gives us a little bit of hope for eternity when we look at the horrible times that we're going through on the earth. Amen. Yeah, I think that's a good picture. It's biblical, light and darkness, I agree. Uh, and and guys, I, I think that the number one thing to, to to do is to keep your eyes on Christ. And you each said that in different ways. You each each said that exact thing, and that's the the hope that Christians have. So uh, back to the original question, what perspective? I think the perspective has to be our eyes on Christ, fixed on Him, in His Word, in worship of Him. And other than that, I I don't know. I don't have a hope to give you other than Christ. It's one of those things where oftentimes when I talk to my secular friends or atheist friends where it's like, how can a good guy allow this? And those things start to come up. Um, but then at the same time, when you abandon God and you say, well, all this evil, there can't be a good God and you abandon him, then suddenly you're left with nothing. Suddenly the answer of what's going to happen to the evil man is he'll get away with it. Um, so the, the answer becomes, is there a meaning for all this death and this destruction? No, it's just empty. It's just void. It was all for nothing. Um, and suddenly you become a nihilist without even knowing it. Mm. Um, and so does the answer of there is a good God, but there's still evil in the world. Does that suck? Does that hurt? Does that come with a lot of raw feelings? Yes. But it, to me, it is still way better than the nihilistic approach. There's still hope. Yeah, and you know, I, I love what you said, Jeremy, about how the the only hope that you have is Christ. And that's so true because I think a lot of times we so quickly run to all kinds of different things for our hope. You know, we hope in politicians and we hope that they'll set out the right policies or they'll do the right thing or you know, we hope that we win the culture war or something like that will cause some sort of major W for Christianity or whatever. We, we're so quick to put our hope in all these things. And while it's fine to pursue certain things, I suppose, your hope should be in Christ alone. And these other things will never um, fulfill completely the will of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, with that being said, let's uh, hop to what we have next, which is getting back into some of the ways that these Islamic extremists justify their actions. And again, we want to be clear that we are not saying that this is all Muslims. We are not saying Hamas is representative of all Islam or all Palestinians even, but I think in understanding some of these backgrounds, it helps us to, to get an idea. Oh, there, there's a belief behind this that is rooted in 
some religious practice, whether or not that's believed by all, uh, that doesn't change the fact, like you said, John, that as a result of what's happened, there was praising of God, uh, praising of, of, of God for what had happened. And it's very hard for people to wrap their mind around how is that even possible. So let, let's talk a little bit more about what that looks like. We'll hop to our, our, second, our second slide here. Yeah, so uh, in the Quran, there is, uh, if you could sc scroll down a little to where it is. Boom, right there. Oh, you went to go back up because now it's just getting into into things. So I believe it's Surah. So right here it says. Um, Surah 8.12. Yeah, Surah 8.12. You guys have the Quran there, so. Yes. Uh, do you want me to read the English translation? Yeah, if you could, that'd be great. <laughs> remember thy Lord. Maybe your translation is different, Ryan. Maybe it's less old English than mine. But remember thy Lord inspired the angels with the message, I am with you. Give firmness to the believers. I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. Smite ye above their necks and smite all their fingertips off them. Yeah, same. All right, so that slightly... Now, do you want to have context surrounding that verse? Do you want me to read yeah, a so surrounding verses? We're going we're gonna to get in... Let's get into the context, but as of right now, uh, this is one of the verses that... They take that smiting the neck verse as literal, like, chop their heads off. If you went through some of the... Um, uh, went through some of the footage there was a man using a garden hoe to try to decapitate one of the um but, uh, this he wasn't even uh an israeli i think he was a foreign worker but tried to just he was taking wax at this guy's neck to try to decapitate him this is why they decapitate the soldiers why they um you know this has only been confirmed by one news source as of right now but why they've decapitated babies you know, it's it's because of them seeing this in the Quran and being like, oh, that gives us, I can do this to the unbeliever? Awesome, let's do it. It's it's almost as if they take it as a command. Mm -hmm. And so that's mm -hmm. why you see beheading a lot. It's also just um, like one of the, if you just look in ancient times, you would behead the kings and like that was just one of the, the biggest forms of disrespect that you could do to somebody is to behead them. Um, so there, there, there also comes that too, but they find a theological reason for why they do this. So LT, yeah. you want to, you want to read the broader context because what's interesting is if you read the broader context, it kind of changes it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, for one, this is an actual war. At least most Muslim scholars recognize it as an actual war, not mm -hmm. a, um attack on civilians so this is considered a war text for one um but what uh so i'll read the verse before it then i'll read that verse and i'll read a couple after it uh re remember he covered you with a sword of drowsiness to give you a calm as from himself and he caused rain to send on you from heaven to clean you there clean you therewith to remove from you the stain of satan to strengthen your hearts and to plant your feet firmly therewith um uh, remember thy lord inspired the angels with the message i am with you give firmness to the believers I will instill terror into the hearts of the unbelievers, smite ye by their necks, and smite all their fingertips off them. 
This because they contended against Allah and his messenger. If any contend against Allah and his messenger, Allah is strict in punishment. Thus will be said, tasty then of the punishment for those who resist Allah is the penalty of fire. O ye who believe, when you meet the unbelievers in hostile array, never turn your backs to them. If any do turn his backs to them on such a day, unless it be stratagem of war or to retreat to a troop of his own, he draws himself the wrath of Allah and his abode in hell, an evil refuge indeed. Um, so yeah, the, the context is basically a war. And in this case, the, the ideal is a hostile unbeliever. Um, unbelievers attacking Muslims. That is the context of this specific passage, at least. And I actually have, this is a commentary Quran, so I was actually reading some of the commentary to see what it was saying. Um, and the one about the smiting above the necks, um, it actually says here in the commentary, the vulnerable parts of an armed man are above the neck. A blow, a blow on the neck, face or head, finishes him off. If he has armor, it is difficult to get to his heart, but if his hands are put out of action, he is unable to wield his sword or lance or other weapons, easily becomes a prisoner. Um, so the the commentary was basically talking about how this was a war tactic to kill the enemy if they had armor, essentially. I can see how that makes sense with the fingers as well, because if you if all you had was swords and bows and and shields and stuff, and then you can't pick something up because they remove the fingers. But what's interesting is that you don't see them removing fingers. You only see them removing heads. Mm -hmm. I mean, they mutilate bodies like they, they do. Yeah. They, they they'll remove everything. But it, it's like they they take that out of context. And this is so this is why in general, it's so dangerous to take any holy book that you consider to be holy out of context. You know, obviously, we believe that the Bible is the only holy book, but yeah, anything, any. Th any verse that you find that can validate a position and, and and have you think that you are doing something for god it is very important to not take those things out of context and and build your life around them because this is the mm -hmm. this is the end result of when you do that with with a with a um with a worldview that was built on aggression you know if you go through um the Quran, it, it seems to get more violent as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I Muhammad, so. it, Muhammad is recognized to become a military leader as he progresses. Right. Like, so Muhammad starts off, he's kind of basically a poor, like lowly man, but then he starts to build a following of people who see him as a prophet. Um, and as that following builds, eventually he's able to basically overtake the Bedouins and the pagans around him and control the Medina area, which then eventually leads to him controlling Mecca. Um, and then from after his death, there's just this military conquest that goes out from there. Um, so with time, he builds a bigger following, leading to more control and power. And you could see yeah. that reflected in, I'm sorry, let me, let me just finish this, Ryan. Um, you could just see that reflected in the progression of the Quran. And then like, uh abrogation you know um the the later texts abrogate the earlier text that would contradict the later text um because of the progression that you find in the in the quran and you could this is me just looking at it as a skeptical person and as a christian is it looks like the work of a man who was coming to power and the more power he got the 
the more it became centered around him and mm-hmm. and what he wanted the these messages from Allah just seemed to to have like just read it for yourself you know and and could I haven't read the whole thing but I mean in, in my study I mean if someone like, reads the Quran as it is organized they might find it your your statement confusing because it's not uh, chronological order it's not and there's also like order. so many years between like there'll be a verse right here and then right here would be like 50 years in between those two verses yeah the the surahs are not organized nicely to put it simply uh they're organized mainly by thought um so like it kind of like certain passages in the hadith uh, in, in the surah will be about basically this one thought and you'll follow that train of thought, but then eventually it'll jump and it'll jump into another train of thought. It doesn't really, it doesn't really go chronologically. It's, it's not meant to, it's not intended to. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, it's actually exactly what I was going to say, John. I think if uh, we're able to get into reading that second uh, portion in Surah 47, you see a big difference between that and what you just read. Um, it's, it's much more aggressive and it doesn't seem out of context to me. I mean, LT, like I said, you know a lot more about this than I do, but as I was reading the, the portions above and below it, it seems like it's pretty much just talking about unbelievers here. Um, and like you said, John, this is, this is much later in the Quran. And so this would supersede, uh, the verse that we read before if I'm understanding their theology correctly. Um, yeah. Should I go ahead and read it? Yeah, read it. All right, this is Surah 47.4. It says, Therefore, when ye meet the unbelievers in fight, smite at their necks. At length, when ye have thoroughly subdued them, bind a bond firmly on them. Thereafter is the time for either generosity or ransom until the war lays down its burdens. Thus are ye commanded, but if it had been Allah's will, he could certainly have exacted retribution from them himself. But he lets you fight in order to test you, some with others. But those who are slain in the way of Allah, he will never let their deeds be lost. Um, And then it goes on to talk about how Allah will continue to improve the the condition of those who follow Allah, um, and that destruction lays in wait for the unbelievers. But before that, it talks about, um, you know, just just people who reject Allah, um, and and that those are the ones who are going to be fought and slain. It doesn't say anything about uh, this being a war text, but like I said, I, I'm not an expert on this. This is definitely one that. Muslim scholars have a harder time justifying. I mean, normally the ones, the, normally the ways I've heard stuff like this done, and again, uh, I could definitely have, I could definitely learn more. Uh, but the ones that I have listened to and heard of, sometimes they'll do this, they'll do what some Bible scholars will do as well, where they'll be like, well, this passage is somewhat vague. It doesn't give you the full context. So we're going to assume, based on other texts and what it says, a similar sort of parameters. Um, so they might assume that, well, since other Quranic te- texts say Muslims should attack only in defense, that this is a defensive war and that they're only defending themselves. They're not on the aggressive in this scenario. Whether or not that's true, 
the it's hard to it would be hard to make that case. Um, and by what I can tell, yeah, I see what you're seeing, Ryan. I don't I don't see a very clear context. I would say say that, but yeah. What's interesting too is uh, if you I, I don't know if you closed it already, but if you could open and read right after that that verse. Oh no, uh, Jeremy, I'm sorry. I meant uh, Ryan because we don't have the the following verses on the screen. Um, but if you could read past that a little bit again. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll start in verse 5. It says, Soon will he guide them and improve their condition, talking about people who follow Allah, and admit them to the garden which he has announced for them. O ye who believe, if ye will aid the cause of Allah, he will aid you and plant your feet firmly. But those who reject Allah, for them is destruction, and Allah will send their deeds astray from the mark. That is because they hate the revelation of Allah, so he has made their deeds fruitless. Do they not travel through the earth and see what was the end of those before them who did evil? Allah brought utter destruction on them, and similar fates await those who reject Allah. This is because Allah is the protector of those who believe, but those who reject Allah have no protector. It's interesting how... Um, and I like mean, doing... I, I just looked a little bit... I just looked a little further ahead and I can see so, in verse 13, it says how many cities with more power than the city, which has driven thee out, have we destroyed for their sins? And there was none to aid them. Um, so the, there is later verses talking about cities driving them out or whatever, whatever that means. So that's also further context. It's just uh, interesting as you were reading it, how it, it seems, and this is me just hearing the, the full extent of this for the first time, is uh, there's almost like this progression of a person through war, right? As like, that's what I'm getting when you read it of, hmm. like if they continue fighting for Allah, that like they are becoming better as people or or something better is happening to them by continuing this mission. And I could see how somebody could take that snapshot and feed it to people who, you know, are going to war and, and just like, Hey, if you progress in this, if you, if you win this, if you continue in this, win at all costs, look at this, look at what the Quran is saying will happen to you. You'll become yeah. better. You know, and then if you die, uh, I believe it said in there, like um, there's reward for that as well. So it's it can really paint this narrative for somebody who is already bought into to the Islamic ideology, especially the Islamic extremist ideology. And here's the thing: when you have an enemy, right? When when you can clearly point at an enemy as these Islamic extremists extremists can they they literally raise their family to hate Jews and if you just pull up some of the quotes from Hamas and their leadership there they not only want to exterminate every Jew in Israel they want to exterminate every Jew in the world so and it Christians, goes I mean yeah <laughs> but they specifically hate Jews yeah like, they specifically really hate the Jews but yeah, they're also they're, not opposed to killing Christians yeah but it's just it's it's interesting how you know they hamas is using uh 
Palestinians yearning for freedom, they use that yearning to their advantage. And, and then they, uh, but if you just look at what their real agenda is, it's, it's not the liberation of Palestine. It is the destruction of Israel. That, and not only the destruction of Israel, but of every Israeli on the planet. And a lot of these, and a lot of these terrorist groups, as you're saying, like that's what they do. They leverage a vulnerability within their community. They take advantage of young minds and get them very hooked onto an ideology or like you know some sort of feeling, emotion to get them to fight. Um, and oftentimes they will suppress harm and hurt other people in their own community to do so. I mean, Hamas isn't necessarily the most great to their people in their own Gaza Strip that they have political power over. Um, and I mean, Al-Qaeda and these other terrorist groups that have been in the Middle East have all been known for suppressing, killing, and hurting other Muslims as well. So it's not like these these terrorist groups are manipulative. That's that's what they are. Yeah. I mean, they, they have their weapons supplies at hospitals and uh, civilians' homes and... Um, they use their people as human shields and then they, they want those people to become casualties so that way they can continue to perpetuate the narrative that they're trying to push. They mm -hmm. want there to be dead Palestinian civilians by the hand of is the IDF. That way they can say, look at the IDF killing innocent civilians. That's like, that's, that's part of their plan. Um, uh, Israel sends warnings to areas. They send warnings to buildings. They even have um, uh, mortars and bombs that when they hit the building, they shake for a little bit before they explode to give the people inside um, a warning to leave. You know, It's because the IDF knows that they are using these people as human shields. And I'm not saying that, uh, that you know, Israel is innocent in all of this. I'm just saying that there's... <sighs> It's, it's two different forms of warfare that are going on here. And it's just, it's obvious to see. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, and so in talking about this, then uh, I think there's two things that we can kind of then transition the conversation, because I think that we, we've established some of the reasons behind what might be happening. We haven't gone into detail too much of what is. We, we've looked at how some can take from Hadith's and put these into practice and take from the Quran and put these into practice, whether or not it's the actual intent of the passage is up for debate. And yep. now then we, we get to a place where these, these lines feel very blurred. And now I, I think we'd I'd like to have a little bit of a conversation of how do we approach then um, where allegiances lie. I already, I think we've already established that it's a bad uh question to say who do you support but i, I want to read this this is the joint statement on israel that was put out recently uh, by the leaders of france germany italy united kingdom the united states of america released this following statement and i want to read this whole statement we'll react to it and then i have some other things we can talk to as well today we president marcon of france chancellor schultz of germany prime minister Maloney of Italy and Prime Minister Sunak of the United Kingdom and President Biden of the United States express our steadfast and united support for the state of Israel and our unequivocal condemnation of Hamas and its appalling acts of terrorism. 
We make clear that the terrorist actions of Hamas have no justification, no legitimacy, and must be universally condemned. There is never any justification for terrorism. In recent days, the world has watched in horror as Hamas terrorists massacred families in their homes, slaughtered over 200 young people enjoying a musical festival, a music festival, and kidnapped elderly women, children, and entire families who are now being held as hostages. Our countries will support Israel in its efforts to defend itself and its people against such atrocities. We further emphasize that this is not a moment for any party hostile to Israel to exploit these attacks to seek advantage. All of us recognize the legitimate aspirations of the Palestinian people and support equal measures of justice and freedom for Israelis and Palestinians alike. But make no mistake, Hamas does not represent those aspirations and it offers nothing for Palestinian people other than more terror and bloodshed. Over the coming days, we will remain united and coordinated together as allies and as common friends of Israel to ensure Israel is able to defend itself and to ultimately set the conditions for a peaceful, integrated Middle East region. So that is what's being said here by the leaders of these countries, of France, Germany, Italy, UK, United States, in regards to Israel, Hamas, Palestine. What are your thoughts, reactions? I have some, but I would love to hear what, what you guys think of that statement of maybe where it, it could be missing, where it might be tone deaf in some regards, or is it just legalese, the thing that they're supposed to say? I think, I think you hit it on the last one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the large majority of the population of the United States, at least, I mean, I can't speak of the other countries, but I think the, the majority of the population still feels uh, supportive of Israel and is still very leery of uh, any sort of Palestinian or any or <laughs> any country with uh, Islamic affiliations. And so I think they're, they're saying what they have to say. Also, there's a lot of money tied up between us and Israel. Um, and I'm sure those other countries in Israel as well. So, Well, and also in, in regards to the, the Saudi Arabia peace agreement that very much is in favor of the United States and the United States would like to see happen. Um, so they're trying to save some of that. And I, I can't help but think that some of what's happening over these last few days is an attempt to try and stop some of that so that there isn't that peace in the in the Middle East that would benefit yeah. the United States. And I mean, a lot of these countries also don't like Iran. And Iran is a big backer of Hamas and other terrorist groups like it. So... I mean, they want to thwart Iran a lot of ways because Iran is very vocally and quite obviously anti-West in general. So that plays a big part into it as well. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now, here, here's the thing that I find interesting. Um, and I know that they're supposed to say all these things and they will say this paragraph here that all of us recognize legitimate aspirations of Palestinian people. Um, I think that in that, that paragraph, uh, I don't believe there's some Americans that believe that that's a, a truthful statement. We saw recently uh, a lot of people gathering in the streets in support of Palestine, particularly in Chicago. Chicago was one of those places where they gathered 
And particularly we're seeing folks in the Black Lives Matter movement come alongside Palestine in an effort to make a bridge of similarity. Listen to what was said here. It says, uh, this is from Colin Rugg. It says, multiple Black Lives Matter groups have thrown their support behind the Hamas terrorists who murdered innocent people in Israel. Black Lives Matter Los Angeles justified these actions by the terrorists because they were simply resisting Israel. Let us understand the resistance in Palestine as a quote, as an attempt to tear down the gates of the world's largest open air prison. As a radical black organization grounded in abolitionist ideals, we see clear parallels between black and Palestinian people. Black Lives Matter Chicago was a little more direct as they shared an art piece of a Hamas uh, paraglider with a Palestinian Palestine flag wild. It's underneath. I don't have that picture as a part of it, but I find it interesting to see the intersection between um, the understanding of some of these Marxist beliefs of oppressor oppressed categories, making it okay to retaliate in any, in any way. What, what do you think about that? What's your reaction? Cause I think that this gets into some of the conversation that might be helpful for us because I'm sure there's people that might be watching this or listening to this that that know folks that either support Black Lives Matter or might also then be falling into a support and not just a support, but a a justification of the actions we just spent time talking about because it's in this oppressor oppressed category. Uh, Hamas. I'm, I'm sorry, but Hamas would brutally destroy uh people who are a part of Black Lives Matter. They would destroy the leadership. They have nothing in common with uh, the the leaders, especially of the, the LA chapter. And, um, you know, these are people who are part of the LGBT community. I was going to say, and, dude, if any and, of those, yeah. Yeah, they would just, they have no idea what they're supporting. They would be thrown off buildings. They would be beheaded. They would be... Um, graped as well the, there is Hamas looks at them as uh, probably looks at them like like how they look at Jews there's they have nothing in common yeah I mean the so I mean the whole reason I mean I see Chugbug there is like saying I'm a little confused on why BLM relation is in this and the whole it just boils down to Marxist philosophy this idea that it's a it's a class thing Marxists see everything through the eye of class um, everything is a social socio economic class, and um, <laughs> and a, a lot of these people they see okay here's a group of people who have lost in war, who have basically been subdued by another nation for whatever reason whether or not it's justified or not, they, they all they see is someone has been beaten for lack of a better term they've been beaten in previous wars and battles and skirmishes and do not have the most political power in the nation. And so therefore, due to that reason, they have they're oppressed and therefore they have the right to regain equality or, you know, power or whatever, and whatever they do can be justified on that premise alone. Now, as for my reaction to that, I go to scripture. Like for me, I go to scripture and what I see is even when there are oppressive governments and you are oppressed, 
you are to be long suffering and bear with those things. I mean, Romans 13, as we, as we see, it's talked about honoring the emperor. The Roman emperor wasn't very friendly to Christians. Um, it wasn't like a delightful freedom of America society. It was rather oppressive that Christians were being persecuted. They were told when they were being persecuted and killed by the, um, by the other, by the Roman empire or by other people around them who hated them, they were to endure and endure with long suffering to share the gospel and to be merciful and loving to the orphans, to the widows, to all the people, despite how they were being treated. And it was because of that love, it was because of that long suffering, it was because of that mercy that the church spread so fast and rapidly. It was not because of war. It was not because of power. It was not because of military might. It was because of mercy and love and the kindness and the gospel message that came with it. Um, and so whenever my reaction is that, my reaction is I want, I want there to be mercy. I want there to be long-suffering when, when people experience oppression. This, this culture and this mindset of if I'm being oppressed or I'm, I'm experiencing injustice, I need to get my rights back. That's not the right mindset. Mm -hmm. That is not people. If there is injustice, God will have his way. God mm -hmm. will be the judge. Um, and if there comes an opportunity politically for you to have um, the ability to change something that is unjust in a peaceful manner, go for it. Pursue it. I mean, we see that with the slave trade in America. That's exactly what happened. People pursued peaceful ways to help overrun, help overcome the, the, um, the immoral slave trade in America. It was done a lot by churches pursuing peaceful ways to do so. But one, well, and I would all, I would also yeah. add though. I, I think what's also happening here it's deeper than just Marxist ideology. Though I think what's happening is that BLM is making a, a, a deeper connection, may, or maybe I'm giving them too much credit because, uh, as uh, Apologia Center says, American liberals don't know what they're talking about. But I, I see, I see a deeper thread here when you look at the history of Palestine and Israel, when you look at the colonialization that happened. And mm -hmm. the, the place that we're in now very much largely is in part and in due to the United Kingdom and the colonialization that happened in that time. And yes. so you trace that back and you can very easily see how when they're making a comment like that to say we see very much similarities of being a people who was colonized and our culture was appropriated and taken. We see a I mean, common bond. There is what I think they're drawing to, but the problem is think about the, the equivocation they're making. They're saying to resist the shackles of this open air prison, their actions were justified. What does yes, that make yeah. you think then BLM wants to do that means they're saying any action is justified as long as we can prove that we've been oppressed. Yeah, I mean, even okay. I I, I come from a I come from a non-resistant background, so whenever topics of war, I it's always interesting for me. I still lean non-resistant, although I don't completely go pacifist. Um, but it's one of those things where even if there is justified reason for war, justified reason for re physical retaliation it is never justified. It's never justifiable to attack innocent civilians, women, children, or anyone like that. And, and, and graping people is never a justified tactic. That torture is not a justified tactic. Those things are not justified 
whatsoever. They are immoral, no matter the case. Based on the BLM's perspective, it's completely justified. And, and I think that that's important for people to see, because I think I'm, I'm thankful for a quote like this that is just so blatantly clear to say what they see happening is is OK. And that's just wild. Sorry, Ryan, it looks like you've got something to say. I cut you off there. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of it is based on just a surface level understanding of the situation. And, uh, you know, while maybe I'm just a jerk and a bigot and a white cis male Christian conservative type of guy, uh, maybe all those things are true. But I tend to agree with Arthur. Uh, I think that a lot of people just don't really know what they're talking about. And uh, yeah. I think that a lot of folks in this group, um, the the cool thing to do and, and what a lot of folks want to do in this group is just oppose what they would label as the mainstream narrative of the Christian cis, which I hate that word, but I'm using it sort of sarcastically, the Christian cis, uh, you know, conservative viewpoint. And I think that viewpoint has historically been standing alongside of Israel yeah. in the Middle Eastern conflict. And so I think that within this group, it's like super cool right now to be opposed to that because you're opposing uh, what they would term is mainstream, which I totally disagree. I think it's it's the opposite of mainstream uh, these days, but that's just my yeah. I, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things can be driven on each side, far right, far left, can be driven just simply by opposing what your opponent <laughs> believes. So, like, if if conservatives are by and large in support of Israel, oh, you know the far lefties and the people on the far left and the extreme left. I'm not talking about your classical liberal. I'm just talking about your extreme leftists are going to oppose it. They're just going to oppose it because that's what they know conservatives are for. Um, it's yeah. a natural thing that happens in extreme versions of politics. I would say that um, maybe there is similarities in one way or another. You know, if you if you think about how in in these riots they were willing to destroy their own people's properties mm -hmm. and their own people's yep. businesses just to just to make a point because the ends justified the means. I would say that that mindset is something that they share in common with Hamas. Uh, I mm -hmm. wouldn't say, uh, I, I'm grateful that we live in a country in, in which something playing out in America like Hamas is, is forcing to play out in Israel would, be, would have been met with even swifter uh, violence uh, in retaliation if... It, I heard it put this way, right? This is what Hamas is doing is the equivalent of, um, and this is not my quote, right? But this is their, what Hamas is doing is the equivalent of Mexico, like Mexican extremists running into El Paso, grabbing, shooting up and killing a whole bunch of citizens, uh, graping a whole bunch of citizens, and then dragging people across the border. Like, that it, happening in the United States is such a uh, like we can't even fathom that happening in the United States. 
It's not something that even comes across our radar of being possible. And I think that's because um, of, of the conditions that the, that the United States has, has built. So therefore, an organization like BLM, and when we say BLM, we mean the organization, all right? Black lives do matter, obviously. Absolutely. But BLM as a communist uh, socialist organization that only cares about the destruction and, and, and dis destroying America as a whole, the fact that we live in a country where they would not be able to uh, logically play that out to the extreme that somebody like Hamas is currently doing in the Middle East, I'm just grateful that we live in a country like that. But I would say that they do, in fact, share something in common with Hamas, and it is that mindset. The any means necessary and everything is justified mindset, and I think it's mm -hmm. disgusting. Yeah, well, and, and, and that's why why I want to bring that up because I think that the, the clarity here, uh, I think most, if not everyone that I would talk to would look at what has happened and what Hamas has done and be able to say, I reject that. That's evil. And then, but many of those same people would have been people that may have considered a support of BLM in some way. And so I'm, I'm thankful that they're this clear that they're just this clear to say, Hey, we, we agree with what Hamas has done, free Palestine. And uh, I think that what we're trying to show is there needs to be nuance with how you talk about. You can categorically uh, completely and totally condemn what Hamas has done while still having a, a desire for peace and justice for the Palestinian people. I think both of those things can be possible, but you you can't. You cannot accept what Hamas has done and and I think have any serious credibility of any kind of conversation with someone like that. But mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So other 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 thoughts, anything else that we have not touched on in regards to this uh this situation, what's going on, other things that you may have have read or heard or uh, things that you've kind of maybe had on your heart and mind that you feel possibly convicted to want to share? Because I think that while we may not have the largest platform, uh, if you're here and you haven't already subscribed, you should consider doing that. Please hit that like button. There's eight of you here, only seven likes. So let's let's fix that. But <laughs> um, as, as we're hanging out here, I, I think that it is well within our uh, purpose of also coming to a conclusion. We, we call this the, the Why Jesus Network, and I, I think we should maybe bring that question to bear some. We've done that a little bit in this conversation tonight, but maybe we can bring that conversation to bear and that question to bear on this topic um, and, and maybe have some conversation around that. But anything on your heart, anything that uh, you feel the need to to share in regards to the Israel-Palestine war that's currently going on. Yeah, just like uh, kind of what uh, we were all saying a little bit earlier, I would just say that Jesus is the only hope for humanity whatsoever. Um, while we can pray for political changes and cultural changes and things of that nature, and some of those things may help bring about peace for part of the time, uh, we will never truly know peace. We will never truly know uh, 
what what it's like to be in God's presence with presence without Jesus, and we will never have that without Jesus. And so He is our only hope. Uh, don't don't put all your hope in uh, Trump taking over. Don't put all your hope in reelecting Biden. Don't put all your hope in uh, you know Israel blowing up the rest of the countries around them. None of that will uh, permanently solve anything. The only hope is Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, one thing that that we can do as Christians, right? Like, as as we discussed earlier, how my flesh wants to respond one one way, but that's why we have to go to to, to the Bible to see how we should respond as Christians. And I would say that take your time before voicing your opinion like give yourself some time to calm down because you could just be scrolling and see something that really upsets you like i've been sharing a lot of the atrocities that have been happening but i haven't been commenting on it too much uh and partly because i'm angry at what i'm seeing and i want to make sure that anything that i say comes across obviously with truth, but also with love and, and with grace. And as much as, as my flesh wants to do, wants to say, yeah, these, these people need justice and they need it right now. And, and as much as that, I more importantly would, man, I would be so joyful if these Hamas terrorists came to Christ. I would be more joyful if people caught in the middle of this came to Christ. I would be more joyful if more Israelis came to Christ like that that to me as you were saying Ryan it's the only solution mm-hmm. a, a changed heart you can change policies you can change borders you can change restrictions you can change uh how the world views this conflict you can change all of that as many times as you could possibly think of changing it and it will still eventually lead back to conflict and darkness one way or another because of the the position of the human heart and the condition of the human heart until your heart is renewed in christ there, there's just no hope there's no hope because everything is, is temporary fixes it's it's band-aids on broken legs you just you're not going to be able to walk on it. it the only one who truly heals is christ and i just i really pray that people through this destruction and through this craziness that's going on that they that they truly seek god and they they turn from seeking justice to seeking god and 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 not god for justice but god god for answers and god for forgiveness and and god for salvation because as ryan just said nothing is going to save this situation or the people in it except christ Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine if both sides were devout Christians and were like, you know what, we're going to now serve each other. We're going to now uh, show mercy to one another. We're now going to try to continually uh, help one another and do charity and stuff like that would be a way better outcome than both sides just agreeing to hate each other, but not fighting like mm-hmm. It'd be much better if they could mutually all come to a faith in Christ and become brothers and sisters in Christ and actually help one another than even getting to a ceasefire where they just mutually hate each other, but they don't shoot at each other. Like that's still, that would be a way better outcome um, in the end. And I I think it also, it can still be important to say that 
Um, when we look at these conflicts, we the ultimate desire should always be for peace. That is not to say that there are not times when there is necessary force to defend innocent lives. There is a time and place for that. There is a time and place to defend innocent lives. Uh, I'm not going to make a statement on, in this current situation, what is the best way of doing that. Uh, but we're not. I, I at least, I at least, I'm not saying that there isn't a place for that. There isn't a place for force to defend lives that are in danger. Um, it's just that if our end goal should be peace, our end goal should be mercy, our end goal should be um, eventually people being able to get along. Um, we shouldn't hope for the complete obliteration of every single person that we don't like. Well, I think uh, per the conversation that happened here uh, either last week or two weeks ago, it all runs together in my brain. But uh, Arthur makes a, a, a great point, and it's one that we've talked about. Um, we've talked about all of these issues, but he says, as an Armenian, all I see is the world's double standard. Armenians were getting beheaded a month ago, and no one seemed to care. But because now it's Israel, and all of a sudden it's a bigger deal. And I think that that is the state of things. I think that Israel takes up the news for many different reasons that transcend a, a lot of different things, um, and may, many of which have to do with the Holocaust, many of which have to do with other things. But you are absolutely right, Arthur, that it, it, there is a double standard there, and that people have this has been happening to people in the Middle East for far longer than just this past weekend that we're seeing. And these things have been happening for far longer in many different contexts. You also mentioned earlier, I, I wanted to, to bring it up because I think it's important that, yeah, no one is talking about the Palestinian Christians who are suffering, who are stuck in Gaza, who can't get out, who are, who are there. I, I think there's many folks that are innocent in all of this that are not culpable. And I think that as Christians, we have to be nuanced to think of those things because apart from Christ, when you look at this situation, what do you see happening? Exactly what is, which is Prime Minister Netanyahu coming out and basically cutting off food and water and supplies to Gaza, essentially setting up and getting ready for a, 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 a genocide of two million people. That's even though we've sat this whole time and talked about for much of it how we disagree with uh, specifically and categorically all of the atrocities committed by Hamas, we would also sit here. Uh, I'm going to speak for myself, but you all cannot in agreement or say, I would also sit here in the same way if Israel wiped Gaza off the face of the earth and two million people snapped away. I would be sitting here and saying the same exact things that mm -hmm. that are the problem. And so as Christians, we need to be able to represent Christ in how we talk about these things. And part of that means being able to be more nuanced and not just black and white retaliate and blow everything up. Yeah. Amen. Any retaliation, any act of self-defense needs to be carefully considered and measured in accordance with what has happened. Because the, right. the and, and um, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you can't do the whole, well, now this is justifiable because of what you did, yeah. you know, because mm -hmm. then, then we have this, uh, you know, infinite progression of 
justifiable atrocities. And that's yeah. just, it's just evil. Well, and, and that's what has come out is basically being said that the retaliation is going to be so massive that no one will ever think of doing this again. And uh, you hear that. And from a worldly perspective, that makes sense, right? From a worldly perspective, take that down to the microcosm. If a bully is bullying you and messing with you, you're going to snap back so that bully never messes with you again. Now, on the playground, even though that is, the stakes are far lower, even as a Christian, we can look at that and go, that may not be the course of action that scripture teaches us to take, which is to overreact in such a way that that person never messes with you again. In fact, what we just mm -hmm. read from Romans 12 says the exact opposite. And what we would also see talks about a lot of different things. So, yeah. I, and I mean, even... Even the eye for an eye passage that people do quote when it comes to that stuff. Actually, the whole purpose of the eye for an eye is that when you do do acts of justice, they're measured and equal to the actual crime. Um, right. So yeah. that's the whole purpose of the law. The whole eye for an eye statement actually is meant to say if someone took if if someone did a certain crime, your the level of justice should be equal to that crime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know that I also think that that's that's fine and dandy theoretically, but in real life. Well, I don't know if you guys got in any fights when you were a kid. In real life, if you fight somebody and you embarrass them, it's not over at the fight and the embarrassment. They go get their friends and they meet you outside of your job or wherever you're at. And them and their two friends beat you up and then it just keeps on escalating. So that's the fact of reality, even though theoretically it might seem like it makes sense that, oh, we're going to hit you so hard that. No one's ever going to do it again. Well, that's not true. They're going to go get their friends and they're going to hit you even harder. Well, and, and, and that's the, the ignorance of thinking that this is how the problem gets solved, right? And that's how it's being presented, that the solving of this problem is by making sure that no one ever does this again. And yeah. we've, we've already shared multiple times on the stream, but if you're just jumping in, we've already shared that we believe the only solution to any and all of this brokenness is the eventual return of Christ. I, I, I think that that is the only solution that what we read about in Revelation isn't a, a fairy tale, but is an actual reality that Christ will return, that he will return in power. And that when he does return, that's going to usher in a new heaven and a new earth where there is no wars, there are no tears, there is no sin. Like that's the hope of the Christian life. And I think that that is what as Christians that may not make the situation today better for Palestinian Christians, but um, it also has to be what we point to as this is the eventual solution that we need to pray for that maybe the prayer becomes come Lord Jesus come now uh, return now end this now um, but I don't know sorry that's my my pastor soapbox yeah yeah I got I, I got a little preachy <laughs> so um, earlier before when we were talking about how um, you know we are to love our enemies and um, and how we are to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn there was no preface of weep with only christians who weep or weep with only yep. jews who weep it's 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 weep with those who weep mourn with those who mourn and if we 
couple that with loving your enemies, then we are to be weeping with those who could be viewed as our enemies. Meanwhile, you know, us here in the West, just talking about this on our Wi-Fi and our, you know, $1,900 laptops and having deep theological discussions about this and, and, and giving our opinions through a screen and not having to actually live through this war, except as spectators, there is no side that we can look at and say the, that's our enemy. Um, we, we have to look at these people as, as people who can come to Christ, can be brothers and sisters in Christ down the line, and we are to mourn with them, weep with them, and pray for them. Mm. And, and that's the position that we have to take. And I would also say, whenever I see people get really happy about the death of a Hamas member, that also makes me just cringe a bit because there should always be solemnity surrounding death. Would I say that if a Hamas member came into someone's house and the father defended his family by shooting the Hamas member, was that justified? You, you can make a case for it being justified, but that does not mean now we stand up and shout and praises for the death of someone because they've been killed. That is not the response. The response may be God has acted just, there has been justice has been done here and some innocent lives have been saved and protected, but we do not rejoice over the death of human beings. We rejoice when God is able to defend the innocent, when the innocent are protected, when uh, we see lives being preserved or whatever. We do not ever rejoice. We, we should not rejoice specifically because of someone dying, specifically just because of that, just because they died and we hated them. Now we're now we're happy. That that's, that also is not a great response. Even when the people that died, we don't necessarily like or have done a lot of, have done evil per se. I don't know. Maybe I worded that wrong. I'm not sure if that came across the way I wanted it. Nah, you you worded it correctly, and I I think that we should celebrate when there is peace, but not celebrate that peace has came from death. Yeah, well, because the celebration is when one comes to faith in Christ. That's the celebration. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. That's the celebration. And that celebration is in new life, not in death. That's saying that someone has been born again. Uh, and then there's, there's the celebration. Um, Arthur continues, and I think it's a good point and, and a helpful point to distinguish. He says, frankly, the Israeli government are hypocrites. They're supplied the Aziris with bombs and weapons to drive out the Armenians and commit ethnic cleansing. They all need to repent. Um, and I, I agree a hundred percent agree. I think everyone, um, everyone is culpable in this. There is no one innocent. Um, Hamas is not innocent. Israel is not innocent. Palestine is not innocent. And the four of us sitting around here are not innocent. We are all broken sinners in need of repentance. Uh, the difference is once you've come to repentance, come to faith in Christ and you repent of your sin and trust in him. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You're given new life. And as a result, you're brought into the family of God and made a co-heir with Christ. And so that's why our hope is in Christ. Because if someone wants to start, and I've seen this a lot of times, people will come and say, well, how can a good God exist with these evils happening? Shouldn't a good God destroy all evil? And I think a fair question then is to ask, what if he starts with you? And, and we have a God who decided 
before the foundations of the world that he would come to us and he has and that's the good news of the gospel and that's what we cling to and so if my daughters who are young ask me about this situation if they hear about it in school I'm still going to couch anything we talk about that our hope is on Christ, our eyes are fixed on him. And that would be my encouragement to you, Christians, that your conversations be in that light and don't get caught up in all the, all the mess. Don't get it caught up in the anger. Don't get caught up in, in the atrocities. Look to Christ. But any, any other closing Amen. thoughts as we're pushing on two hours here? I I thought you was gonna close it right there. That was a good. I can. That was a good segue. <laughs> I can. Let me close it on prayer for the situation and stuff before we close out. That's a that's Definitely. a better way to close for sure. Would you you want to lead us off? And anyone? Uh, I can lead us off. Does anyone is anyone going to close or anything, or just want me to do the whole thing, or what? What's the plan here? Just Why does uh, prayer always get awkward. If if. If, if there's going to be speaking in tongues, there needs to be interpretation. Um, sorry. Sorry, I had to. I'll, I'll close this out, LT. You, you pray. Okay. All right. Lord God, um, as we close out this podcast, we just want to pray over the situation happening in Israel, Father. We, we pray that you first make comfort um, through your spirit, comfort those in distress, comfort those in need. Um, bring your peace and bring your spirit into that place, God. And we pray, Father, that the gospel may be able to spread in these areas, that there may be um, changing of hearts um, in both the Muslims, the Jews, Israel's Palestine. May there be changing of hearts and may the gospel spread. Um, and God, we pray for peace, um, but we also pray for those who are mourning and suffering right now, God, that you may be with them. God, our hearts break at the sight of violence and death and pain. Lord, we know that uh, this is a result of sin in the world. We know that this is yet another birth pain showing how broken and evil this world is and how desperately we need you. So, Lord God, I pray for peaceful resolution of this conflict, and I pray that in some way that that would bring glory to your name, that the peace that would come would be able to surpass understanding that would be able to be miraculous. Lord, we pray for safety. We pray for those innocents that are caught in the middle of all of this, those that have been taken hostage, those that have been uh, and cannot be found, those that would like to get out but cannot. Lord, you know so much more than we could ever imagine, and you understand so much more. And so we pray that you would uh, use people in these situations. We pray for those that are hurting, that are broken. And most of all, Lord, we pray for wisdom and guidance for the leaders who are in positions that can actually impact and make change. We pray that you'd give them wisdom and guidance in the decisions that they have. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that you would get the glory of it all. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for watching this episode of the Why Jesus Podcast. Make sure you click that bell for notifications so you don't miss the next time we go live and answer the most important question, Why Jesus? We'll see you live every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Until next time, peace.